Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire.
Alright guys, welcome back. The dynamic duo are back together. I'm Jimbo and my long lost partner in this the thing we call Terrence. the podcast. <laughs> the Lost Terrence, as I like to rename this episode. <laughs> Terrence is back, at least for today. He looks tired, but hey, it's good to have him back in the studio. So that's the usual, at least. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, well, it's back to normal. Uh, this is episode 44, and yes, we are talking about the long anticipated much talked about the lost boys um if you listen to that introduction special thanks to tim mullins how awesome was that <laughs> although it was wrong uh you know v i'm watching you too and let's just say this is going to be an unbiased true review not a fanboy review <laughs> so just saying us and unbiased opinions go together like bullets and guns right. <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah this episode 44 um you know i would throw terrence a question but i don't know if he's going to be awake for this entire run so let's just go ahead and throw it to throw terrence and let's go ahead and throw the start, question throw a question throw the question terrence do it where do you rate this as far as a vampire movie from dracula to buffy the vampire slayer <laughs> i mean those are two Different into the spectrum, I know. Oh no, I mean those are too like like. Those oh, those are too higher, too good. <laughs> like movies, like those are, are movie and TV. Wow, show. wow, guys, and just so you know, that came from Terrence's mouth, not me. He said those were too good. No, no, the movie, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You, know, you ever seen oh, it with Christy Swanson right, 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 right. and um, Donald Sutherland, who is Keith or Sutherland's dad that plays in this, played yeah. uh, the, the trainer in that. Okay, what's your favorite vampire? Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. What? What are we going interview with the vampire? Um, I mean... The original I Dracula? I mean... Yeah, that was, that's a really good one. Um, I'm gonna go with Blade, though. Blade? I, yeah, I consider like more of a comic book hero than I do a vampire, but... Alright, so let's got that out of the way. I wasn't really prepared to throw you a question, you know what I mean? And by the... <laughs> oh, no, I take that back. Uh, uh... What We Do in the Shadows. That is my absolute I haven't seen it, but I heard... I, I know Tiffany movie. Boots like it's a lot. Hilarious. Likes it a lot. Didn't they do a TV series of that, too? There's a TV series now, yeah. Uh, well, Vampire Diaries. I mean, if you want to keep going on, <laughs> the list can go on. Um, one thing that I failed to mention is that I have given everybody the opportunity to throw your two cents in on this episode. So I have some uh, emails I'm going to read. I have some messages I'm going to read. I have some voice recordings I'm going to read. Or not read, but play, uh, edit in at the end of this. But I'm going to put them all at the end of the episode. So that way, you know, we go through all the information and all that, give our opinions and everything. I've got some uh, special clips from YouTube I'm going to throw in here in, uh, throughout. Um, we're going to have a famous review by Siskel and Ebert, uh, RIP. Um, those of you that don't know, they were two great um, movie critics critics if yeah. you will um i didn't always agree with them but i must say they pretty much hit this one on the on they, the, on they, the, they the go on they the go to thing to like reader or you know reader movie review or listen to a movie review via radio or tv uh prior to you know the existing the existence of the internet right it was every saturday i think it was like let's go to the movies or something but you know the yeah. funny thing is terrence didn't even know who they were i just had to tell him so now he's over acting like he knows who they are so uh Terrence, let's go ahead and get this uh, this this thing rolling so, so we can get it over with. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The Lost Boys. Uh, original release date, July 31st, 1987. Uh, its budget was $8.5 million if you account for inflation. That's $19.2 million today. Uh, opening weekend, it made $5.2 million. Uh, so it... It wasn't a strong opening weekend. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, counting for inflation, that's eleven point eight million 
today. Uh, and then finally, we have what it made in the box office, which is 32.2, or I'm sorry, uh, 32.3 million, which is 73.3 million today. So at least it did decent in the box office. It made way over double its its uh, budget. So Right. And, you know, surprisingly, we'll throw this in here, there is, is I'm surprised they didn't come out with a sequel sooner. Than, I mean, they have a couple of them that came out straight to DVD. Yeah. But I'm surprised, even with that amount of money that it made, that it didn't come out with a sequel sooner. That's true. Because yeah. I think it became more of a cult classic later on, you know, than a good movie, if yeah. you will. So yeah. I don't know if it was just the sign of the times, but it does surprise me that they did. You know, another one that surprised me is E.T., that they never did a sequel to E.T. It made... Buku bucks, you know what I mean. I think maybe they were just smart and being like, you know what, this is a good thing, and let's not. Uh, ruin <laughs> but then, the, the but sequel. then, why come out years later and throw them on DVD? You know, the sequels or whatever. Yeah, or come out with the sequel <laughs> decades later. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so uh, we have the director Joel Schumacher. Um, writers. Uh, so this is where it actually gets really interesting. I don't, I don't know if you had it in your notes and if you can weigh in, but the whole sort of how this story started and how it bounced around between writers and there was also an issue of um uh like not copyright but like jan fisher wrote the original story uh so joel schumacher and um uh james jeremias uh and jeffrey Baum. so there was this whole I know, I'm all over the I was like, man, you got to <laughs> land that airplane sometime, Terrence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? All right, so basically, in short, uh, they were trying to get Fisher's name off of the movie because what she originally wrote uh, is way different than the outcome of this movie. So <laughs> It might have been a lot better. Well, here's the thing. Okay, so um, Jan Fisher was inspired by Peter Pan. They're like, wait a minute. So Peter Pan flies. Peter Pan never ages. And they were thinking about, like, Peter Pan's a vampire. <laughs> right. Well, exactly. And, and this is based a lot on Peter Pan. Actually, um, yeah. the main character, Michael, the, the you know, uh, his mom, they the, the, she plays who Lucy, I think, is her name. Uh, they were actually had her name as Wendy. And uh, they wanted to call Keith Sutherland's character Peter as uh, after oh, Peter okay. Pan. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's and then the Lost Boys, obviously, the, you know, all the kids that follow yep. Peter Pan around. So it makes sense. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so originally, this was supposed to be uh, a kids' movie. It was supposed to be instead of about teenagers, it was about kids. Um, heck, even the, the the Frog Boys were supposed to be Boy Scouts. Um, and then, so they they wrote a script that bounced around. Uh, then it got bought by Warner Brothers. That's when it started switching hands, and then the the story changed. Like, well, let's make it about teenagers, um, and let's make it a little more, you know, darker and edgier, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, to which, you know, you finally get the finishing product. And the reason why they wanted to take off uh, Fisher's name because they were like, well, this is totally different than what Fisher wrote, um, but because it was just too much of a battle, and it was. Uh, it still throw. had the original idea. Um, her name is still on the movie. Still give her some credit. Yeah. Then. So that that's that whole thing. Which I the, think they should the have. If she, if she, yeah. you know, if they're taking some of her ideas, they need to put it in there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. Um, you know, without her, this movie wouldn't be a thing. Right. 
Uh, <laughs> Would that be a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we have the text bags. Uh, this is a 97-minute movie. So, you know, hour 37 minutes. Uh, sound mix, we're looking at the 70mm 6-track, 70mm prints, and Dolby 35mm prints. Uh, this movie's in color. Aspect ratio is 2.20 by 1 for the 70mm prints and 2.35 by 1 for the Dolby. Uh, camera Panavision, camera lens, and camera lenses. Uh, so pretty straight across the board, all Panavision. Uh, laboratory, this was edited in Technicolor, Hollywood, USA. Film length, two, uh, 2,668 meters sweden you can tell it's been a while since i've done this <laughs> not really it sounds the same right? <laughs> negative, negative format 35 millimeter uh this process was uh panavision anamorphic then finally printed form printed format is 35 millimeter and 70 millimeter blown up and finally we have the awards <laughs> academy of science fiction fantasy and horror films usa 1988 uh, they won Best Horror Film. Uh, they were nominated for Best Supporting Actor, uh, Bernard Hughes, uh, Best Performance by a Young Actor, uh, Corey Hiem, and Best Costume, Susan Becker. Whole another page. And finally, Best Makeup, uh, Greg Kamen, V. Neal, and Steve Laporte. And then we have the Young Artist Awards, and as in my usual fashion, I'm just going to dive into what the Young Artist Awards are. So the Young Artist Awards originally uh, were presented in 1979, and it was presented as uh, the Youth in Film Awards, and then they changed the name later, and um, later in the... 80s. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... I thought we lost him right there. He just started going. <laughs> and I was like, uh. uh so uh, basically, it was made to recognize and uh, award the contributions for performance under the age of eighteen, more or less. Uh, they were like, hey, they should have uh, their own awards to highlight um, these talented young actors. And so, with that being said, we have uh, the winner of the Young Artist Award, Best Young Actor in Horror Motion Picture. Corey Feldman, and then nominee, Young Artist Award, Best Young Male Superstar in Motion Pictures, Corey Heum. And that is it for the awards. (laughs) Shock. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's go ahead and talk about the cast. Um, This has a lot of famous people in it. Oh, Um, yeah. At the time, not so much, but later on, they obviously became household names. Uh, Jason Patrick, who played Michael. Uh, Corey Haim, who played Sam, which was Jason's brother, or Michael's brother. Uh, Diane Weist, uh, she played Lucy, which was their mom. Uh, Bernard Hughes uh, played Grandpa. Um, Funny fact here is, well, not funny, but um, there was veterans of the vampire film that they were going to put in there. Uh, Keenan Wynn, he, he died before they got around to asking him. And then John Carradine, he was uh, deemed too old or too ill to play it. So mm, okay. that's, that's sad. You know, they were going to try to throw some yeah 
some little cameos yeah. here and there. Um, Edward Herman, he played Max, which was the love interest of um, Lucy in this. Um, Slash the right? head vampire. A, a spoiler <laughs> uh, that you will come to find out that is like the, the father vampire or whatever. But um, what's funny is he Fred Gwynn was scheduled to play him. Hmm. And you know who Fred Gwynn was? No. He was Herman Munster. And this guy kind of resembles Herman Munster if you look at him in the face. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing is that Edward Herman actually played Herman in the Munsters remake. So I was like, <laughs> wow, we've come full circle here. That's hilarious. And then we have good old David, played by Kiefer Sutherland and his oh, blonde yeah. mullet. Um, <laughs> I'm going to throw this little interview in here that I found with about uh, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland and him getting cast. So we'll throw that in right here. one of us. I had just completed making a film called Stand By Me, uh, which was the first job I had in the United States. And, uh, and I had done another job called At Close Range, uh, which Sean Pan helped me get a small part in. Uh, it was his film, and, and Joel Schumacher had seen a close-up at the very end of the film of me watching Sean Pan go into a courtroom. And I had black hair at the time, uh, it's a film that I really don't resemble what I normally look like on any level. Uh, but Joel saw that close-up and said, oh, I'd like to see him for this film. And he had me come in, and we had a reading, and we got on very well. He can do almost anything, because he's a born character actor, and he was at 18. And you can see it in Lost Boys, because he has the least amount of dialogue of anyone in the movie. But his presence is extraordinary. The minute he shows up on screen, you just go, boom, you know. Who is this guy? My character happened to have the kind of really cool lines at the end of a scene. You know, he'd have the one great line. Uh, and so I'm deeply grateful to Joel for those. Where is she? <laughs> Take it easy, Michael. Where's Star? David. Michael, you ever want to see Star again? You better come with us now. So funny thing about uh, the actor who played uh, Michael. So when he was casted, um, as the casting director stated, he wanted to grab a young, upcoming, beautiful talent. And so um, he almost didn't get casted because he felt that um, he was only getting casted because of his looks. Right. Well... I can't say it was for his acting. And then, <laughs> and then, he, then he decided to uh, to do the movie. Uh, yeah. Um, um, and the funny thing about Keith Sutherland is they almost didn't catch him, uh, get him either, because he was only 21 when they did this. And the only reason that he signed on to do it is because, I don't make this up, NXS was playing on the soundtrack and their lead singer or they duoed with whoever jimmy barnes now that's what my grandma and him used to call me because that's my name james barnes you know what yeah. i mean and i was like well i gotta throw that in there that's hilarious but somebody that they had uh was thinking about playing the david character the uh, vampire was jim carrey because he had just starred mm. in once bitten um and there's actually a poster of of the once bitten in the video store behind max at one point in this movie uh, star, she played Jamie Gert, or was played by Jamie Gertz. Um, she mm. was actually recommended by Jason Patrick, um, yes. because they, I think they were in Solar Babies together or they something. They were, yeah. She was, uh, his co-star in a movie called Solar Babies. Right. So, I guess it's who you know sometimes, right? And because originally the casting director wanted a blonde, um, but, uh... 
he vouched for her, and so they're like, all right, we'll bring her on board. Right. Because they had really good uh, on-set chemistry. So. And then you have the two Frog Brothers, Corey <laughs> Feldman, uh, you know, he's a household name now, and Jameson Newlander. Um, oh, sorry, Corey played Edgar Frog, and Jameson Newlander played Alan Frog, which was his film debut. Yep. Uh, Brooke McCarter. Uh, it's funny because you Paul. talk about how like all the movies we do are like connected, like you know, Goonies and all. Goonies, you know what I mean? Exactly. Uh, Billy Worth played Dwayne. Alex Winter uh, played Marco. Uh, Chance Michael Corbett, Laddie, which was the young kid. Uh, Alexander ba- uh, Bacon Chapman, Greg, and Nori Morgan as Shelley. Ben Stiller was actually uh, went into audition to have a part in this movie. Really? Yeah, but he went in there and he said he didn't know what part he was going to play. But in there was Kiefer Sutherland and the two uh, Frog Boys. The two Corys were in there. Yeah. So, or the two Corys were in there, not to both the Frog Boys, but the two Corys. So he didn't know who he was auditioning for or what. Maybe he was playing Michael. Nobody knows. Hmm. So he doesn't even know. All right, yeah, let's, let's start talking about some interesting facts or non-interesting <laughs> facts about this movie. Uh, number one, uh, this was uh, both of the Corys' uh, first film together. Um, they went on to do a lot of stuff together. They yeah. were almost like best friends. You know, sadly, um, Corey Haim did pass away from years of abuse and, and drug yeah. over to, you know, and all that stuff. But, you know, and it still affects Corey Feldman to this day. So, but man, they were in a lot of teenage films growing up. Here's what might be my most famous, interesting fact I found this film was shot in only three weeks. Oh wow! And it shows. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean that's that's pretty interesting considering what, uh, all the stuff that went behind special effects and and, and some of the right. things that they had to do to pull off certain scenes, which I'm pretty sure we'll get into later. But but you know that that whole train scene when it's going by, if you go back and watch that, man, that thing wasn't even moving on the track. I was like, <laughs> they're like, uh, you know, shaking up right, another. Right. It's just hard to watch at times. <laughs> like uh, yo, Michael. Yeah, Michael, jump, man, you're one of us now. Um, we're going to talk about the location right now. Some of the locations I've, I've tried to organize the notes by, you know, different things and studies. Yeah. But, um, the comic book store that is in this film was owned by Joe Ferrara. The second, um, he still carries the original number one issue of vampires everywhere that Sam reads in the film. Hmm. The comic was created only for this film <laughs> and it's opening page is signed by all the cast members from this movie. The owner allows any shopper to hold it and take a photo with it free of charge. Hmm, that's pretty cool. I think that's really cool. Oh, there's a fire truck. All right. Um, when, let's see here. Yeah, the uh, the bandstand that the band plays on in the, in the uh, first time Michael C. Starr in the Frog Brothers comic book shop, it was destroyed in the 1989 Loma Prita earthquake. Hmm. So... Uh, the Santa Cruz Chamber of Commerce was not keen on relieving the Myrtle Capital of the World, or America moniker, which, you know, has been hung on Santa Cruz because there were some serial killers in the 70s. There was three Yeah, I've got ones. them in here when we get to them. Yeah, uh, they, I mean, they had... It was pretty bad. Um, just between, like, those three, like... I, f- I forgot their names, but between uh, three sure really prominent uh, serial killers, there was... Right like here, there is... Two? There, yes, the, okay, this is... A very brutal moves by three different men in the seventies: mm-hmm. John Lindley Frazier, Herbert Mullen, and Edmund Kemper uh, endured twenty-eight murders over a thirty-month period between nineteen seventy and nineteen seventy-three. Yeah. Wow. So. So. <laughs> that's yeah. why they changed the name because <laughs> they were like, <laughs> we we really want to get away from that title, please. Right. Um, 
Every year at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, uh, this film is screened at the park for free. Mm. Uh, it's part of free of their summer movie series. Um, you have to use your own outdoor furniture, and uh, you watch it after sunset. But a lot of the stuff can still be recognized, like the rides and the games on the boardwalk itself. Um, in Max's video store, you can see a single copy of The Goonies from 1985, which starred Corey <laughs> Feldman. And by the way, both Corys actually audition- auditioned for Mouth of the Goonies, too. Oh, I wow. thought that was pretty cool. So, here we go. Sam, played by Corey Haim, had a poster of Rob Lowe on the outside of his closet door. Um, he had recently directed St. Elmo's Fire in 1985, which I just watched that the other day, and you'd think this movie's bad. <laughs> we got a whole other <laughs> one with that one. Because I never heard it. You know, I've never seen it, so I, I want to watch it. Um, so this was obviously after Peter Pan, who wanted to remain forever young. Um, <laughs> at the time of filming, Jameson Newlander, who played Alan Frog had chest hair despite only being 16. <laughs> um, in the scene where he gets pushed into the bathtub, he grabs the Frog Brothers by... Uh, the, the vampire grabs the Frog Brothers by the shirt. When Jameson was grabbed by the shirt, his chest hair was grabbed too. <laughs> Jameson oh, <no. laughs> the pain you see on my face was actually quite real. <laughs> I mean, guys, am I right? It hurts if you even get the a little tug on this. were my favorite part. Oh, they, they, yeah. They, I mean, great. they have to. I mean, it's just it's awesome. <laughs> The voices that they did, too. (laughs) Right. Um, And something else. A lot of people like the soundtrack to this movie. You know, the opening song. You know, what is it? um, Cry Little Sister or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's catchy. It is catchy, but then you (laughs) wish the rest of the movie was. (laughs) Uh, So, what I liked about Corey Haim is they said that it, they used to have uh, parties where him and Feldman would stay in the hotel room and watch old movies. They would go to arcades and you know just jam out together. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, what they I forgot to put, throw this in with the location, but the guy that owned the comic book shop in the in the movie, when you see the um, the pin the guys playing pinball at yeah. the local comic shop, the guy with the facial hair is actually the owner of the comic book shop. Oh, they wow. actually put him in there, so I thought that was really awesome. Oh, let's see. Corey Haim later characterized his experience on this film as one of the greatest personal times in his life. At least I had fun filming uh, it. That's what I was going to say. I mean, you know, and then also Lucy, she was named after Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. uh, Lucy, uh, what was her name? Western uh, or something like that. Uh, The Frog Brothers names are after Edgar Allan Poe. Hmm. Edgar and Allan. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, oh man, I keep skipping. On. I got all these location marks on here, and I keep forgetting. <laughs> but uh, several thousand local residents answered the casting call for family types: street people, punks, surfers, roller skaters, and one braid dead hippie. From <laughs> 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 2000, the applicants were signed for several right, uh, rights work on what was the largest film production ever bought to the area at that time. And and one thing that we can point out here is um, they Hollywood often talks about being whitewashed. Um, in movies, uh, the awards, etc. Yeah. None of the main characters are any ethnicity <laughs> except white. That's yeah. Um, now, when you at the beginning of the movie, we see freaks and geeks and goth and whatever you want to call them. Yeah, um, there's the there's all uh, different type yeah. of people there. Um, well, even, they kind of just showcase. Even where the even where the mom is on the date exactly, with Mac, right. right? Even when the mom is on the date with Max, yeah. Uh, the guy that hands her the phone or she hands the phone to is a, um, a African American gentleman. You know what I mean? So, 
I don't want to say it takes away from the movie, but they've come a long way from what it used to be. You know what I mean? And but just knowing that what you know now, yeah. it's obvious in this movie once you start watching it. So, all right, moving on. Uh, let's see. Oh, executive producer Richard Don originally intended to direct the movie himself, but he moved on to Lethal Weapon in 1987 and hired Joe Schumacher to finish this job because it yeah, was just struggling along to exactly. get going. Exactly. So, um, yeah, they, uh, Warner Brothers originally want, wanted uh, Donner, um, to which he was getting ready to do it, but he was too invested in Lethal Weapon. So right. He was like, I'm not going to step away or do, you know, do two movies. I'm just going to concentrate on Lethal Weapon. Right. He probably looked at the script like, no, I'll just go to Lethal Weapon. <laughs> Uh, Corey Feldman, he, he was struggling with drugs at the time, and he almost, almost did not get into this movie. Um, he showed up, but he was working on coming down from a high uh, cocaine binge. Uh, Schumacher was very upset with him that he kept dozing off and was able to keep continue filming, so he fired him. But he hired him back the next day after Corey apologized and swore to come to work prepared from then on, which he did. And that's that's a lot of the problems with Hollywood, man. A lot of these kids make a lot of money at an early age, and you know they yeah. don't have a childhood, they don't have normal school. You know, a lot of them, yeah. they just they just go the way of the crowd, kind of just thrown into work because right. that's what it is. Yeah. Um, what was another interesting fact is you know Keith Sutherland's role as this head vampire. Um, he was, despite being one of the lead cast members, he has. Uh, the fewest lines among all the leading uh, and supporting cast members, but at the Half same of them are Michael. But at the same, <laughs> but at the same time, he has the most dialogue of all the vampire boys. You know what I mean? So I was like, true. I noticed, like, I was like, are the others gonna say anything, or are are they just uh, sort of like a posse to? They got some things. one-liners in there, yeah, you know. But but it's just like it's kind of like Peter Pan and the Lost Boys. You know what I mean? A lot That's of them true, didn't yeah. say anything except Peter. You know what I mean? Um, Michael. Characters in this movie say the name Michael approximately 118 <laughs> times. <laughs> I thought you were getting 118 times. I'm, I'm glad that's in there because that's I noticed that. <laughs> I was right. like, man, they said his name so much. <laughs> when um, I thought a cool scene was, I did like that um, after Michael gets back, you know, and he goes down and he gets the milk out and oh, he starts yeah, and yeah. the carton falls over. That the lost the picture on the carton is actually the missing boy that's with Star. Yeah, but you know they it makes you think to believe that they're brother and sister, but I don't think it ever says they're brother and sister. I think it's just a boy that the vampires picked up for her to look after. You know, what yeah. I mean? like a mother figure. Um, I think they just picked him up. You know what I mean? For yeah, her recruitment to do that. style is fairly random. Right. <laughs> uh, let's see here. In the dinner with Max and the Frog Brothers, Alan puts out candles with his fingers. Nobody told him that he had to wet his fingers first, so he ended up getting burnt. And later takes he dipped his hand in a water of uh, based on water before putting out the candles. <laughs> so, uh, this is this is really cool right here. Having impressed Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know who Andrew Lloyd Webber is? Uh, remind me. He did the Broadway, the Phantom of the Opera, oh, the that's big right. big, okay, big yeah. musical guy. Um, Joe Schumacher's use of music in this film is why I convinced Weber to hire him to direct The Phantom of the Opera in 2004. Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, let's see here. Uh, we talked about that already, the movie poster of Once Bitten. Yep. 
When asked why he did the film, Joe Schumacher simply stated, Vampires are hot. They're the only erotic <laughs> monsters. Frankenstein is not so hot. <laughs> so so here's, a, here's a fun fact of uh, when they were trying to figure out uh, how these characters looked, particularly the Lost Boys. Um, when they were switching things from what uh, Fisher originally wrote... They were like, all right, well, how do we make, uh, we, we want to make these vampires attractive. So right. let's put them in leather, you know, give them, you know, uh, uh, good hairstyles and stuff like that. And then you get what you got. Right. Um, oh, and have them ride motorcycles. That was a, another, like, sort of addition. They were like, let's, let's, let's have them ride motorcycles. Yeah. That's and I was like, that's, that's <laughs> something else about this movie. You know, Michael gets on. Riding a motorcycle in sand like that, eh, they weren't dirt bikes. They were like at Carly's, you know what I mean? I was like, you know, some of them, I don't think they just go on sand like that. Yeah. So, I mean, you'd be wiping out all over the place. Um, so, <laughs> Corey Feldman, the frog brother, was Alan, I think. Uh, Schumacher wanted him to them to resemble the action stars of the day so he told him to go rent a bunch of chuck norris and arnold schwarzenegger or sorry chuck norris and sylvester stallone movies and watch them so. you know i noticed that and i that uh, that's great that that's uh that, <laughs> that they had to do that because uh, as i was watching i'm like these guys sound like like very cliche like action stars of the 80s yeah they're, and, they, they, and the way he talks you know he's just like yeah you know weapon whatever. check check <laughs> all right let's go <laughs> So uh, Corey Feldman appeared in Friday the 13th, the final chapter, and Kelly Joe Minter appeared in A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, making them the only actors to appear in uh, the one to appear in the Friday uh, from this movie, in yeah. Friday the 13th, and one in uh, make a, or, uh, Friday, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. So we're going to talk about the makeup department, because this is one thing I can say, that the makeup does look pretty good in this. Oh, yeah, and, and, and knowing that they... Did this in a crunch of three weeks. I am just going to read what I found on this because I can't say it any better, and I want Terrence to throw in any comments as I finish each one of these paragraphs. Okay, Terrence, are you yeah, ready? Jim. Makeup department head Vey Neal suggested that Greg Cannon or Kanam would be an excellent choice to design the vampire prosthetics. Greg knew the genre well and was known for working on many of the practical FX horror films of the 80s. Although makeup tests for the New Age vampires were already underway, they weren't quite hitting the target. There was another makeup that uh, they were waiting on, too, from Steve Johnson, which was very elaborate, recalled Cannon. Cannon. It was so cool, but it was very monstrous and not really what Joel was looking for. For the Lost Boys, Joel wanted something a little more sleek and simple. Joel Schumacher said to me, I've hired these sexy young kids and I want them sexy. I don't want monsters, said Canem. So <laughs> Vey came up to me and said, why don't we do a test on the side and show it to Joel, uh, Joel and see what he thinks. So Canem and Neil brought in actor Brooke McCarter to test the waters. Joel wanted the vampires to be very stylized and streamlined, remembering Canem. At first, I did much bigger prosthetics, more than what's in the film, with a larger forehead and a longer face and chin, and showed it to Joel. He liked it, but he thought it was too much. Even though the test wasn't perfect, Canem was getting closer to Schumacher's vision. Hmm. So at least, you know, he's like, hey, let's go overboard, and then we can always cut it back. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. The original design inspiration for the uh, 80s vampire we know and love today was none other than an old faded photograph Greg had kept from the past. Quote, I had a newspaper clipping from years before that was faded. It was a blonde tennis player, good looking, with a really good bone structure. And it was faded to the point where it had those kinds of shapes on the foreheads and bumps on the cheeks and everything. 
Canon based the initial makeups on this reference and the test proved successful. I did a nice subtle one for Keith Sutherland, then flew to England and came back and did a makeup test on him that Monday. Hmm. Joel really liked it but wanted more, which made sense. So I ended up using that piece on Jason Patrick for the end scene, and I did a more stylized piece for Keith. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. But see, back in the eighties, I'm sure the makeup that you had, the amount of time you had to sit in a chair was forever. You know Still what I is. mean? Right. But I mean, a lot of that stuff can be CGI now too, which probably takes away some of it. That's true. The first step of the process was to. All right, we're back. We had to take a little bit of a break there. Uh, <laughs> so the first step of the process was to take live cast of the actor, starting with Kiefer. I did the live cast with his eyes open, which I learned from Dick Smith. Don't do that at home. <laughs> I would never do it now. <laughs> it's too easy to find yourself in a lawsuit, and the alignment isn't as good as it used to be, but I got it down really good at that time. As Greg was planning the makeup, he knew he would have to work around the beard they had established for Keither's look. I wanted the lenses to really stand out. I wanted to do a super subtle demonic makeup and change the bone structures around the forehead, and especially down onto the nose. Kiefer had a pixie nose at the time, so I brought it down onto his nose to try and make his nose look a little more full. With the addition of subtle cheek pieces and careful blending, Canham finalized the David's makeup. I had to make sure they were blended and there was no hard edge. It was so important to get that sloped onto the skin. Greg was then able to use this makeup as a template for the rest of the vampire game. So, hey, Kiefer, you're going to be the guinea pig. (laughs) Pretty much. The vampire prosthetics were manufactured in foam latex, the best method at the time. For coloration, quotes, we used Pax paint on foam latex because that's all we had, explained Canham. I sculpted all the prosthetics and even ran all the foam in the beginning. And then Jill Mosco started running the pieces when I had to go on set or do other things. Aside from emphasizing the facial contours, the eyes became one of the most important elements of the finished look. I designed the contact lenses so that they were kind of glowing with all the red around them, revealed Canem. I then designed the makeups around the lenses knowing that they would be the star of the show. That so he sense. took yeah. a lot of time for the eyes, I guess. Yeah. Greg Canem also designed and made custom vampire dentures for each actor to wear. This guy was all over the place, uh, which was uh, uh, which were understated and de- delicate compared to the large Dracula-esque fangs audience were used to seeing. I really tried to make the teeth look like pearls, revealed Canem. For the application, I embedded wire into the dentures so that they would be super strong. It was up in the gum area. Then the teeth just came down and hooked onto the bottoms of the actor's real teeth. Man, I bet that was uncomfortable. Yeah, they had a whole thing where they were trying to figure out how they wanted to do the teeth. Because they didn't want to do it out, you know, the classic Dracula, you know, two really big canines. Um, so they wanted something like they were saying, like, uh, uh, you know, more sleek, more or less, you know. Right, because you can't have sexy teenagers, vampires, and bad teeth, <laughs> you know. Uh, in the end, the young and fairly unknown cast handled prosthetic makeups amazingly, especially since for many of them it was their first time. Greg told SWSCA, I remember Kiefer saying, don't tell them I'm only 17. They think I'm 18. When we started the film, he had all this baby fat, and I was like, oh, God, how am I going to turn this into a vampire? But he was great. (laughs) I did his life cast with his eyes open, and he had no problems with any of it. All of the actors were absolutely wonderful. Greg also had recounted how shocked he was with the professionalism of a child actor, Chance Michael Corbett, who played the young boy, Laddie. Yeah. Since wearing lenses and prosthetics can be difficult to deal with at such a young age. You never know what a kid's going to do, and he was an absolute trooper in those in those lenses. They're huge, hard lenses, and he put up with them, and we never had a problem with him. 
You know when they first when uh, uh, Star first brought up Laddie's name, like wait. Who's Laddie? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I was like, they, like, who's this Laddie? And then I was like, oh, it's the kid. The kid. I forgot and, about the right. kid. So I mean, you know, she never said this is my brother. She's like, you know, Laddie. Yeah. I was like, looking back on the project, Greg Canham is candid about the challenges he encountered working on the film, particularly his occasional clashes with director Joel Schumacher. But Canham admired Schumacher for his vision and reminisces fondly about the finished result. Joel was very happy with everything in the end, and that's all you can ask for. I think he's a great filmmaker, and he did an incredible directing job. In fact, as a subtle homage to the director, Canham actually designed one of the vampires to look like him. For Edward Herman's makeup, I used Joel as the model. They knew, uh, Neil went to Daly's one day, and as she and Joel were looking at the footage of Ed, he asked her, Am I crazy, or does Ed look like me? So if you look closely, you can see Joel's face in the scene. <laughs> so, That's pretty funny. There you have it. So so here's a couple. I, I, I did forget... Because uh, it's been so long, but here's a a couple other movies that uh, Joel Schumacher did. So he did Batman Forever. Yep. Uh, he also did Batman and Robin. Um, like you were saying, uh, Saint Elmo's Fire, which I guess is not that great. <laughs> You'll have to check it out. I'll, I'll let you borrow it. Um, he also did Time to Kill and Flatliners, uh, the original in 1990. Time to Kill's good. Um, here's here's something. Okay. You know, one of the, the, the things that can hurt a vampire or keep vampires away is what? Garlic, right? Yeah. So, but when he comes to bed, you know, he's like, Mom, can I sleep in here tonight with you? You know, and he, he goes to take off. She's like, you've been eating pizza? You know, he's got that necklace of garlic. Yeah. Garlic does not smell like that. It's only when it's crushed yeah, up. You know what exactly. I mean? I was and I was like, so there's no thing. way that she's going to be able to smell that. So I was like, whatever. Um, <sighs> this is just... <laughs> I just it's just this movie man <laughs> uh, the merry-go-round sequence foreshadows the order in which the lost boy dies Marco dies first Paul second Dwayne third and David last it's also true uh, another thing that gets foreshadowed is how they die yep and that's um, when that's the frog boys are talking about yeah. it yeah uh, the movie didn't originally end on a joke um, which what an ending to this movie if you haven't seen it it was a terrible ending um, it was supposed to cut to the surviving Lost Boys regrouping in the sunken hotel. The last shot was of a mural on the wall made in the early 1900s with Max in it, looking exactly the same as he did today. All of um, all of this appeared in an early draft for the script, but ultimately was never filmed. Hmm. Which would have been a better ending. That would have. Uh, so, And it would have left the door open for a sequel. I, I didn't, like, the punchline I thought was going to be more. Like, I was like, oh, snap, is... Is the grandfather like a secret the, vampire? The head, head vampire? No, I thought maybe he was like a secret vampire hunter or something like that. Like maybe he's not actually going out on dates. Maybe he's moonlighting as a vampire hunter. Right. Which would have been really cool, but it was it was just a joke. It was just like, oh yeah, that's that's the thing I don't like about this city. The vampire. And the grandpa was kind of like you know you could tell he was wasn't all there. You know, he's, it seems like a cool, like when he's like they go to he's like well grandpa he's like hey you want to go to town you know and they get in the car and he's like yeah let's go and so he gets there he starts the car and then he shuts it out he's like well that's as far as town this thing goes and the kid's like what um. Let's see here. Oh, this in the scene where the Sam and the Frog Brothers stake Marco while he sleeps. They are pursued by the rest of the vampire. You remember, and Keith or Sutherland reaches up and grabs the leg, but yeah, it's in. The, they drag it into the sunlight, mm-hmm. and you see a tear come down the face of Kiefer Sutherland um, yeah. because he gives that pain look. That's actually a real tear because the contact lenses were bothering him and they were stinging terribly. But they decided to keep it in there because it went so well with the scene. That's so true. I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. Since uh, you know. 
one of his um, fellow vampires just died. Uh, David is impelled on a pair of antlers and doesn't disintegrate like the other vampires. Despite what Max Leader says, he is not really dead. This was intended to be picked up in the sequel, The Lost Girls, which was scripted but never made. Hmm. So there's also a comic book series out if anybody's interested. Uh, another thing... I feel like you can do a lot more with comics in this particular medium. Or like, you know, they're trying right. to go with. And work with me here. Is Star a vampire? Is she a half vampire? What is okay, she? So, uh, both is she not turned the, the yet? Kid, the kid, uh, Michael, and Star are all half vampires uh, based on the lore of this movie. <laughs> um, you don't become a full vampire until your you, first kill? Your first feed, basically. Yeah, so... Um, drinking uh, what I assume is David's blood or maybe even Max's because uh, he's the head vampire so right. I imagine it's a, bo- a bottle of Max's blood so um, Max's blood is consumed they become half vampires they become full vampires when they feed on their first person so like that's why it was important uh, that Star keep the kid away from the Frog Brothers when he when the kid was turning and uh, uh, giving in to the, uh, the hunger uh, right, but since they're half vampires, so you're telling me they can still have their fangs and they can still fly and they can do everything a vampire would do. They're just not immortal yet. Exactly. Yeah. But they're they're allergic to sunlight. Remember, because he's like, I had to wear my sunglasses. Yeah, they're they're sensitive to sunlight. There's uh, so much. Uh, there's there's, there's so the powers, much. This, but they, the, they don't get. They don't get. Um, this movie just the details that they go into doesn't explain it fully, so a person that's never seen it before can understand. You know, it's what I also mean? a little everywhere, kind of like you know, not to say other mediums don't, but uh, it, it definitely is kind of confusing and like where they're pulling. Like usually, right. there, there's particular aspects that you pull from, uh, you know, vampire lore of like, okay, how do these vampires function? How do they work? How do they uh, create more vampires? So on and so forth. Um, they more or less have it down, but there are little like gaps. But I mean, uh, they try to do a lot. <laughs> yeah, and and you don't know what's going on. So, as we were talking about earlier, Edgar Frog states that when a vampire bites it, it's never a pretty sight. Some yell and scream. Some go quietly. Some explode. Some implode. But all will try to take you with them. All the vampires follow these four deaths exactly. Marco, when stalked by Edgar, screams as he dies. Paul dissolves in a bathtub of holy water, causing the plumbing in the house to implode on itself. Dwayne and Max blow up, and David dies very quietly with and with minimal struggle. So, uh, let's see here. Uh, when Sam's in the comic store, remember he tells the Frog Brothers, he's, actually, I'm looking for Batman number 14. Yeah. This is where the Joel Schumacher was a lifelong and devoted Batman fan, and he directed those. And also, Corey Hamlin was considered for the part of Robin, hmm. which that would have been interesting, too. Uh... Yeah, there's some. There's a lot of audio sequences off, like uh, David and Star having a conversation. Their lips are moving, and they're yeah. they're not saying anything. Uh, the concert on the on the beach, the, the, when they sing, and I still believe his lips are out of sync with the lyrics. Um, <laughs> Lucy actually calls Max uh, Ed, his real name. <laughs> Once I was like, that's hilarious. Uh, yeah, it's just I don't know. The, but I did find was cool that um, I think it's you know in deeper into the film. Um, when Dave and his gang attack a group of people while Michael watches on, uh, one of the victims is the punk with a gray stripe in his hair who was killed earlier in the film. <laughs> I was like, wow. That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of, you know. I thought they took an interesting, like, workaround for, like, well, how do we make, 
you know, these guys, you know, feed on all these people and at the same time not have to special effects all of that. So then they go with that first person kind of camera. <laughs> Let me ask uh, you this, too. At the beginning of the movie, when the uh, they're on the merry-go-round, right? Yeah. And they're walking through there and, you know, he's looking at the girl or whatever. Yeah, or something, yeah. And the, the security guard grabs him and he's like, look, I told you, you're not allowed to be over here or whatever. Why haven't they killed him by now? If he's always been a problem and they've been a problem, why why have they not killed the security guard yet? I know, right? And they waited till uh, till, till the boot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, here's something else that really gets me too. When the vampires um, awake and they start flying off to Michael's house, they are all barefooted. When they get to Michael's house, they have boots on. I mean, do they change their <laughs> shoes in the air? Come on, man. This is. I mean, <laughs> just mid mid flight, they're like, wait, 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 guys, we're barefoot. That's not sexy. We need boots. Michael, to go with these other jackets. Michael, when he's in his room and he begins to float to the ceiling, remember once he's turned, yeah. you can see his harness. Uh, when Michael is closing the window in the kitchen, preparing for the vampire attack near the end, there's a, a crew person reflecting the cabinets. <laughs> Michael's left. Um, one thing I didn't understand. Oh, okay. We'll get it right here. At the end of the movie is when the vampires come back to get revenge. They never ask permission to enter the home the way Max did. Yeah. All vampires must get permission from the head of the house to enter. So, but, okay, so they didn't ask permission to get into the house. So they should have never been able to get into the house to begin with. Yeah, so this is when, what I mean. Well, hang on. It's kind of all over the place. Well, yeah, but wait, we're getting ready to talk about it. So when Max, remember, he's like, well, aren't you going to invite him in? Yeah, come on in. You know what I mean? Yeah. When, when he comes over for that dinner date. He gets invited in, and he's a vampire, right? So he gets invited in, and that's why when the Frog Brothers and all of them there, and they're throwing the water on him and all the, the yeah. spaghetti and all that, whatever, that's why it doesn't work on him, because when a vampire is invited in, they supposedly lose all their powers. Oh. So my question is, number one, if you have to have permission to get into a house, <laughs> all right, to to feed on a you know to feed on a vampire to to yeah. attack them whatever but in this other scene they're saying well you invited me in so none of this stuff works on me yeah so it's kind of contradicting itself so which is it is it you invite me in and I can you know pass off as human or can I just come into your house without being permission or since I'm the head vampire you gave permission to all vampires to come in but if they did that then all the vampires would be powerless. Because it, it was powerless against Max when he was in there. This yeah. is what I'm saying. This is part of the problem I have with this movie. If you're going to stick to a lore, you stick to the lore. Or if you're going to change something, you change it all the way through. You can't pick and choose what you want to do in different scenes. This is where I'm going to start on my rant. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> no, you're Die-hard vampire fans, there's you know you have your sparkling Twilight people. You have you know and and you know what I I don't look at Twilight any different anymore because you know what she stuck with that all the way throughout the series. That's true. You know what I mean? Dracula, they stuck with that throughout the series. I mean, yeah, there's different forms of Dracula, but each time that that lore is told in that movie, they stick through that the whole movie long. This film is all over the place. I didn't know what I was expecting. I thought maybe the Frog Brothers could have been vampires by the end of this movie. I mean, come on, really? Am I the only one that sees this? Do you see what I'm seeing? I I get what you mean by the inconsistency of of the lore that they were putting out. Because I was trying to put... As I was watching, I was trying to put together, like, how these vampires function. Because, I mean... That when you borrow something from you know legends told throughout time, right? right? Uh, it, it's expected to follow 
a certain formula. Like, there's some things that are always used, and there's some things that are adapted throughout time and whatnot. Um, but it's always important to, you know, be consistent because you're using something that's so commonly used that it's expected to follow a formula. Like, it's not like a new thing or anything where, like, it's like we, we do have these preconceived notions of how a vampire should work. And then to throw in and kind of nitpick all the, the different things uh, of how a vampire could function, but then they started contradicting each other, like right. you were saying. So, it, and I don't know if this is, this is part of the creative differences between the lady that started the movie and then these guys picking it up. Yeah. That could have been part of it. But at least, man, watch your movie, or at least give it to a small amount of audience with half a brain, and they could have even picked up on this. Because I was like so confused by this point. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so this guy was a vampire. You let him in, especially at the end when you find out, oh, you know, well, we killed him. No, well, no, you didn't. I'm right here, you know, and I was was here. So it can't be both ways. Yeah. So this is very interesting because not only did I want to get this out here that, well, let's give our opinion. Terrence, give me your opinions. Before we go into other people's reviews of what they've sent me, then we'll go ahead and let you do your review and I'll do mine and then we'll... We'll go from there. All right, so rant time. Um, <laughs> I've already started, I, I, I guess. But <laughs> I, I want to start off with what, what I did enjoy. Uh, one of my absolute favorite things was the Frog Brothers, and I did catch that you know they were the, these cl- they were copying cliche uh, '80s action heroes, and uh, the voice they put on and the the, the silly one liners they had um, was super hilarious and really made the movie a lot more enjoyable. Um, I do also understand why this movie uh, means a lot to a lot of people uh, because if I were to watch this movie a lot younger, I think I would have had a a completely different viewpoint. I mean, it is sort of a coming-of-age story and stuff like that, and and majority of people do have this dark, edgy phase, right? Uh, So... I think if I were like you know a teenager and I watched this movie, I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more than watching it as an adult and kind of like nitpicking the crap out of it, basically. Um, and also, it, it just doesn't uh, it doesn't speak to me in the in a way it, w- it would have had I seen it younger. Um, so I, I get the nostalgia factor is basically what I'm getting at. Uh, a lot of people still like this movie, and I have movies that I like purely based off nostalgia also i can be like yeah that's a fantastic movie when an actual whole retrospect it's it'll be an all right or not great movie um and i i think to say that uh, this is a, a great movie based on what the movie is and if we're setting nostalgia aside and uh, you know memories and how we felt about it when we first watched it and you look at it now it's all right. Uh, no, a lot of people are gonna not like that opinion. <laughs> but um, I'm not gonna say I, I didn't enjoy it. But it's not something I'll revisit uh, I, ever. I think, <laughs> yeah. Are you saying forever? Uh, or I, I, no, I, I probably won't revisit it. Um, I mean, there's other vampire movies I'd much rather revisit. I mean, I'll go back and watch Dracula, and as I stated before, like you know. Blade is a really fun movie, and it's a comic movie, so obviously I'll watch it. But, um, you know, What We Do in the Shadows is a great vampire comedy. Um, and 
heck, Interview with the Vampire is a great movie. Uh, there's just so many other movies I would watch to get my vampire fix before I come back to this, which I probably won't. Um, but I just wanted to state that I do understand that you know a lot of emotions are attached to this movie because for most people they watched this when they were younger, and so uh, you know there's that nostalgia attached to it. But as a movie itself, it's okay. The Frog <laughs> Brothers were the best part. I cannot state that enough. Right, <laughs> they were so, the Frog Brothers so were fantastic, great. and you know what? Even I even liked Michael's performance. I thought he did a good job for what he was dealt with. Yeah, oh, I did. I, okay, I'm so not a Kiefer Sutherland fan. I do one. like the performances that they that they did, um, and I did find things funny that weren't supposed to be funny, like just in, in the beginning with it. Come on, Michael, 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 do it, Michael. Yeah, it was just <laughs> Michael over and over and over again. My thing is, if you're going to make a movie, and it's going to be a vampire movie, you need to follow, I don't want to say follow the rules or follow the lore, but if you're going to have a lore in it, it needs to be that lore throughout the whole entire movie. Yeah. Consistency. Consistency. Right. Uh, I don't know how this got by them. Um, It's one of the things that drove me crazy about it. And they didn't tell the complete story. They didn't explain, oh, well, you're only half vampire. You know, I mean, they did a little bit with Michael, a little bit. But, you know, you don't know much about Star. You know, that she's, uh, what, David's girlfriend? Well, whatever you want to call her. Yeah. Um, You don't know the relationship to her and the little laddie. Um, And let's face it, Michael was a stalker. He sees her on the beach at that thing. He thinks she's good looking, and she and he just keeps staring at her. And then you know she walks away, and he starts chasing after her. So this whole point of this movie is he starting well, I mean, to stalk her. She give him glances of like, "Hey, follow me." You know, it, well, it's kind of like- she's probably hungry. She probably wants to suck his blood. <laughs> and not only so- that, but then the, then the next thing you got is you've got the 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 gang of vampires. They're taking Michael through a gang initiation. Is basically what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah if you watch much. it, they're hazing him really bad. You know, what I mean, <laughs> come on, Michael, hang from this trestle. You know, you can. And then like, let You're go, Michael. maggots, Michael. Yeah, yeah. That's, that was a great scene where he's like, "Here, Michael, you want some Chinese food?" And he's and he's sitting there and he's like, "Oh, sure." He's eating this rice. He's like, "Oh, you're eating maggots, Michael. How does maggots taste?" He looks down and there's maggots as well. And then he looks over at Keith or Sutherland's character, David, and he's over there. He's like, uh, "You want some worms?" You know, he's like, "Don't eat that. They're worms." And he looks at it and they're just noodles. Yeah. You know, those are some cool tricks. There was some great um, for the time. There was some great. Uh, Special effects, makeups, if you will. Absolutely. Um, the vampire deaths were great. The, I like the the whole exploding the whole entire house. Eh, maybe <laughs> not that much. You know what right. I mean? Um, but I thought I really enjoyed the head vampire guy, uh, Max. I really yeah. enjoyed his performance. I really liked Diane uh, Weist in this movie. Um, Corey Feldman, great. Um, Corey Haim, great. Um, I think he played so the, the little, performances. The were, performance it, were great. All my Where gripes... It, are with the writing because it's, exactly it, and, and here's what I found out and this also was touched up on the interview and I, I share the sentiment of like this movie tried to do a lot and because it tried to do so much it, 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 it suffered because of it um, he's referring and, to the uh, Siskel and Ebert thing that I'm yeah. going to post here at the end and, and so and so um, uh, it, it it wants to be a coming of age story it wants to be a horror it wants to be it wants a comedy to be a comedy uh, and then it, in the end, it wants to be an action movie. You know what I mean? So it, it wants to be all of these things, and it's trying to shove so much into an hour and 30 minutes. I think if they would have dropped the comedy and just made it a pure horror film, it would have been so much better. 
Go one way or another. I think right. it could have worked. Or made it like way. Dracula Dead and Loving It with Leslie Nelson. <laughs> I'm not saying go that far with it, and I'm not saying that all horror movies can't have comedy. What I'm saying is you could have made Corey Feldman and the, or the Frog Brothers, you could have made them like, you know, uh, Van Helsing, you know what I mean, as far yeah. as, but as a younger version of how he got his, you know what I mean, how he how he been tracking people and all that. Yeah. You know, maybe he doesn't age. Maybe he was a lost boy. Maybe he was part vampire. Whatever you want to do. So now he knows all these differences, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and the reason why I say it's all right, because I, I think minor changes would have made, like, even without changing it completely, I think, like, just little minor changes would, would have made it more enjoyable for me anyway. Like, the, the whole ending, you know, we were talking about how it ended on <sighs> that the punchline. That ending, line. man, yeah. Um, you know, and that comes down to, like, it wants to be too many things. It, it, to end on a punchline like that, I was like, ah, oh, I was kind of expecting more. Um, I would have liked that original ending, or even when I was talking about, like, instead of making it a punchline, make it like, oh, turns out granddad is some cool vampire hunter and he's been doing this right. for a while and or even even showing one of them surviving or something you know at the end and, and crawling back to wherever yeah and going back up and hanging upside down or whatever and then have a mural of max or whatever it is you exactly. know and say yeah, hey yeah. there could be a sequel this isn't over yet so if you come to santa clara in the future you might be would be on the lookout for more vampires or even or even fade back to the boardwalk and show some more missing posters later on like let's say three years later and have more missing po- yeah, posters exactly. and then just have a shadow walk by or something at night you know what i mean and just have one of the flyers fly off or something there's then, so much you could have done with this a, a, movie another simple that thing just dis- dis- i'm disappointed yeah uh, another simple thing that that could have made it more enjoyable for me anyway is just like you were saying the consistency of their vampire lore um and then last but not least uh I think just just maybe diving just a little bit and investing more into uh, sort of the character relationships. Um, yeah, definitely, because a lot of things just happen. <laughs> right, and I would have loved to seen uh, a little bit more about um, uh, David and uh, Star. You know, it, it, what's what's the deal there? You know what I mean? Uh, because Kiefer Sutherland didn't really care. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean. He's just like, whatever, you know, she's ours. She's one of us, you know. And uh, it's like the Three Stooges were his sidekick. I mean, that's the way to look at it, you know. I mean, he's a, he's a cool <laughs> vampire. And then uh, when they go down, they kill the one guy, remember? Oh, <laughs> they yeah, sneak yeah, down yeah. there and they do it, you know. So I was like, as much as people talked about this movie and as much as, you know, how bad I was on it on Facebook, you know, yeah. talking trash and all that, would I watch it again? Uh Maybe if I've watched every other movie in the world. No, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go that bad. It was okay. okay. I, figured, I figured it out. This is probably why I probably looked at this movie under more of a microscope than I usually would is because it was overhyped. Now, that's just something that happens. Um, or is that just overhyped on our Facebook? <laughs> because well, yeah, because like, a lot of people on our Facebook group was like, oh, this was one of my favorite movies. Exactly. And we're going to read through some of these so you'll know. Uh, you'll hear the positive. You'll hear the positive. You'll hear some negative. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but but the whole thing is, and, and uh, this is something that, you know, happens with our own personal bias and stuff like that. But uh Every now and then, and I try not to, but every now and then, you know, every, everybody's susceptible to it. You, you just get hyped up on a movie and you're told how good something is. So when you watch it, you're looking at it under way more of a microscope than you usually would have. Like, if someone told me, yeah, the movie's all right, I watched it, I might have enjoyed it a bit more. Okay, so let me ask you this. So when I told you to watch 12 Angry Men and you watched it, did I overhype it? Or did it live up to its expectations? That was okay. So that was a movie that was also hyped, but it did live up to its expectations. There you go. There's the difference. 
That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so I just used your own. So let's uh, go. But I mean, it happens in reverse too. So like, uh, uh, here's an example of a movie that I had like zero expectations for. I watched it. I'm like, wow, that was actually really, really good. Um, when Captain America first came out. Uh, I was very skeptical of the whole movie, and I was like, ah, I don't know how they're gonna do with it, and you know, Hollywood. And, like at the time, it it was like you know we had uh, Iron Man was good, and then Spider Man that was you know, and Blade that was like the big comic movies that you know uh, did big things. But I, I saw Captain America, I'm like, ah, I don't know, and then so I came in with zero expectations. I was like, I'm going to watch it because I like comic movies, but I expect nothing from this movie. I watched it, and because I came in with zero expectations, I actually really enjoyed it. It was, it was great. It was the same thing with Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman was fantastic. Same. Oh, I love Wonder Woman. I know. So good. <laughs> so let's go ahead and um, I'll read some of these um, messages that we got. Um, and, and don't worry, if there's more that I get um, at the end of this, because I told them, you know, I sent some messages out, hey, if you're going to have anything, send it to me. I'll, I'll edit it in at the end, yeah. you know, or read them or whatever. So uh, the first one we're going to start off with is from Marco Calvo. And I said, you know, he's been, he was the one that started on Facebook, like, hey, when are you going to do this movie? Hey, and then he <laughs> just started going. So I was like, okay. So he's like, well, first off, he said it was from the beginning creepy. You know, he's like coming from some teenage kids and then the soundtrack makes it more intense. And then they take the security away. And then in the missing milk cartons, the kids appearing missing, you know, the missing posters, you know, and then the main characters, how they suspected that they were vampires. Then what I liked was that they were doing uh, what was supposed to be done to a vampire using the garlic and the steaks to the heart and all that. And then the vampires would go to parties by the beach and eat people <laughs> and the people without noticing that there was vampires out there. That's just what made it fun and scary that uh, when they played the movie, like it was something that it could look like in real life. And he said he was a kid when he watched it. He said it looked like it was not make-believe, that it was actually real, that it was something that could happen, which I understand that. And he yeah. said he watched it when he was a kid, so... Watching it as a kid would probably scare you more than... Absolutely. Because yeah. this was my first showing. I ain't going to lie. This it's is just, my first two. It's yeah. just one that it was never on my radar. I, it passed I've seen those once, but... Well, I, I mean, I've seen I those posters. It. You know, the red poster with Michael in the sunglasses? Yeah. And, and, the, and I was just like, this doesn't even appeal to me. You know what I mean? I mean, why would I want to watch this It's funny. Trash? Like, uh, I've seen the poster before, and what what I thought when I saw the poster is completely different when I, I didn't even know it was a vampire movie like long time ago I just saw the poster and I was like huh is it like some like movie about like orphans or something yeah, like I, was like, I was like is this real life Peter Pan you know like a, like a goth Peter Pan yeah, that's what I thought it like was that. yeah yeah um, and the next week <laughs> so I I reached out to my friend in Australia uh, Natasha Ali Riley and I said hey you know I'm I'm doing this I'm giving you guys a chance to say what you want I said, what's your feelings on the Lost Boys? And you know what she told me? Hmm. She goes, I said, hey, did you did you watch it? She's like, well, she said, uh, honestly, she said, um, I've never seen it. She said, it looks like <laughs> blank, and I can't say blank. And I was like, well, I'm going to use that in the podcast because that's another one that it never just appealed to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't really good. Um. There's a couple other people that are probably going to get back with me and send in some stuff, so I'll, I'll, I'll add those in here. And then I'm going to leave a little space here, and then I'm going to play the Siskel and Ebert review. So you may not like what I said, you may not like what Terrence said, but you're going to get two world-renowned critics from movie industry, which, hey, there are movies that I love that these guys absolutely trashed. Okay, yeah. I mean trashed hardcore. And that usually happens with a lot of the movies I like. The critics just trash it. 
I have to agree with them on this one. I yeah. mean, you you listen to it. They yeah. were fair to it, and they were, it's about three minutes long, I think. So well, I, mean, I, I think they do what uh, um, what I think is good about being a good critic is you know highlighting what is good about the movie, and then and then you know tearing into it and saying what you don't <laughs> right. want, right? So uh, I'm going to leave a little bit of a space here, and then I'm going to put that in right here. I'm your brother, Sammy. Help me. Name the Lost Boys, and this is a very ambitious, well-acted horror movie about teenage vampires in Santa Carla, which we are reminded more than once in this film is the mass murder capital of America. A sad distinction. This movie follows a trend I've seen in a lot of horror and science fiction movies lately. The sensational storylines from 1950s exploitation films are updated with good dialogue at production values and made into slick movies for the 1980s. That's what they did with The Fly. That's what they do here. This one stars Jason Patrick as the new kid in town who sees a girl he likes at a rock concert. She's played by Jamie Gertz, and she is a vampire, something even Jason's little brother knows. She's one of them! And don't tell me it doesn't make her a bad person, Mike! You know where David took me tonight, don't you, Star? Who's David? Yes, it's my fault. If you hadn't met me, if I hadn't liked you, I tried to warn you. It was that night in the cave, wasn't it? That wasn't wine they gave me to drink. It was blood. That was David's blood. You drank someone's blood? Are you crazy? Kiefer Sutherland stars as the leader of the vampires, and it's a good, tough performance. You afraid to face me, David? Huh? I tried to make you immortal. You tried to make me a killer! <laughs> I mentioned before that The Lost Boys is a well-made movie, and it is impressive. The performances are good, especially by Kiefer Sutherland and Jason Patrick. The special effects are good. The vampire scenes look convincing, and some of the credit for all of that goes to the director, Joel Schumacher, who specializes in supernatural subjects and did that weird Shirley MacLaine movie a few years ago, The Possession of Joel Delaney. But Schumacher also has to take the blame for what happens to this movie. It starts out with a lot of interesting stuff in it, like a love affair between mm -hmm. Diane Weist, who plays the mother of those boys, and Edward Herman, who's a local businessman with a mysterious background. But then the ending of the film is simply action and special effects. The human relationships are all ignored. If you're going to make a convincing, realistic vampire movie, you shouldn't just go for the gore and the last reel, I don't think. This is a close miss, but I'm going to have to give it thumbs down because it doesn't live up to its original promise. Well, that's exactly what I think. I think it's an overstuffed picture. I think, I think this picture should have been stripped away. I mean, I think they have too many characters, too many things going on. I got interested in the adults. I got interested in the kid, especially that little brother played by Corey Haim, mm -hmm. he says, you drank blood or whatever he says is a great line. Uh, there's just, it's just too full. And then you have all, you have you built up all this machinery and then you unload it, sort of run yeah. it down a steamroller at the end mm -hmm. with these people jumping through the air in a vampire fight. I'm exhausted in a picture that I could have liked. It's, you know, it's, a kind, it's a strange criticism to say that a movie is too ambitious, but in a way it is. Oh, yeah. It really is all over the map. And great performances, great actors in there. I don't know about the word great. You're throwing that around oh, a lot today. Great is a good, well, okay, good performances, good actors. How's oh, that, so, okay? I'm so glad you're happy. Happy. All right, so there you had it. You heard it from Cisco and Ebert, you know, um, RIP. Those guys were awesome. Um, and then there is one last um, audio I'd like to play. It's back, I forget what year it was, but I found a thing where Corey Haim and Corey Feldman 
they hosted the Lost Boys on TNT. You know how they would show the movie and they would say something at the beginning. Maybe at a commercial break they would say something. Yeah. And I'm, I want to put this on here. It's almost 10 minutes long, though, So, but it's all spliced together. If I can cut some of it out, I will. Yeah. But I think it would be an injustice not to add Corey Haim as one of the great performances here, even though he died at an early age. Yeah. Um, him and Corey Feldman together were probably some of the best TV and movies duo that you can find. Oh, yeah. And the way that they just joke around in here, you can tell that they genuinely care about each other. They like each other. They're funny. Um, and I want to make sure that we do it justice and we put this out there for them. So um, here's Corey and Corey, the two Corys. Teenagers. They suck blood. This doesn't get any better than this. Now. Next, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman host one of our favorite movies, The Lost Boys. People are strange when you're a stranger. Faces look ugly when you're alone. I look back at Lost Boys and I think... It's one of my favorite films that I've done and that we've done as a team. Hey, man. Read this. I told you, I don't like horror comics. I describe it as, you know, family moves to the country and uh, little brother, big brother, Jason Patrick, being the almost full vampire. The creature of the night, Michael. Just like out of a comic book. You're a vampire, Michael. Well, you wait till mom finds out, buddy. When you strain. Come out of the rain. To me, Lost Boys was never a scary movie. To me, Lost Boys is a funny movie. We're fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. My character needed to be molded out of a piece of like Sylvester Stallone and a piece of Chuck Norris and a piece of all these action hero guys. So you'll notice in my character, you'll actually hear a tone of like Sylvester Stallone. Yo, you know. When a vampire buys it, it's never a pretty sight. No two bloodsuckers go out the same way. I mean, a lot of things that people didn't realize was like the little things like the depth of what the Lost Boys meant. Now, a lot of people didn't get that. You know, the Lost Boys were the same Lost Boys from, like, Peter Pan. Peter Pan. Now you know what we are. Now you know what you are. You'll never grow old, Michael. And you'll never die. All the Lost Boys had black, thick velvet sheets put up on their windows so they would sleep all day and they would work all night. And they got really, really heavily into being vampires. I thought they were supposed to be in coffins. That's what this cave is. It's one giant coffin. It was, uh, it was a good set. It was really eerie at times. A lot of blood around. No, don't even. Good night, blood sucker. When I, I come up and I, I stab them, all this stuff, and they didn't want it to look like blood because it's not a horror movie. It's a comedy horror movie, and there's a difference. No! They didn't want blood. They wanted slime. They wanted so, goo, yeah, you know, like so it was like stuff. this red, sparkly kind of slime. Remember, it had the little, like, silver... Really slimy like, with some... Do you remember the silver? Oh, the goop was fun. It was fun. 
But we're boys too, you know? We like so goop. <laughs> Goopy dudes. Goopy goopy. <laughs> no, it was fun. I'll drive. We don't ride with vampires. Fine, stay here. We do now. Yeah. It's a great movie. It really captured a lot of magic. There was a lot of magic that was on that set, and a lot of it was brought by the fine performances of such great talents put together. Um, a lot of it had to do with the wonderful direction of Joel Schumacher. Lost Boys is a movie that will live on for generations. One thing about living in Santa Carla, I never could stomach all the damn vampires. And now, one of our favorite movies, The Lost Boys. Our favorite movie, Summer Edition 95, will continue with The Lost Boys on TNT. It's kind of funny because Corey uh, had to, you know, he had his mouth open all the time, and that was something that the reviewers were always commenting about, was because in the old days of Corey's acting, like during Lost Boys, you'll notice, as a matter of fact, if we go to a clip right about now, you'll probably see a scene where Corey starts off like this. Yes, please do. Go to a clip. <laughs> Sam, I you have something better to do than follow me around all night. He starts off, he does, you know how most people, they start talking with their mouth closed, like, hi, how are you? Corey will go, hi, how are you? <laughs> I know he's really mad at me right No, it's now, cool, I'm neutral. Actually, I do. No, but that was something that people used to always it's true. Know, make a joke My mom about. used to tell me before I was even an actor when I was in school, you know, you close your mouth, you're going to catch flies. We now return to P. Okay, night-night, sweetheart. Mom. Huh? Um, sorry. Diane Wiest is the most warm-hearted, kindest, uh, brilliant people and actresses, you know, I've, I've ever had the, the honor to work with. You've been eating pizza? No. Why? Woo! You smell like garlic. We'd have to feed lines from off camera, and, you know, she'd put her arms around me and I'd stand in front of her, and I felt like she was my mom, you know? If I had to pick another mom, you know, it would probably be Diane Weiss. Night, night, honey. We now return to our game and Tori Feldman on TNT. It's every child's fantasy to fly. And I, as a kid, always wanted to be a superhero. So my favorite stuff was like the flying stuff, you know, when they would show the shot like over the bridge at the beginning of the movie when it comes over the boardwalk the very first time. And you see all the city lights. I love the stuff when it goes all the way, when you see them fly all the way into the cave, through the cave, and then actually into the where they sleep. That yeah. was amazing. Yeah. That was a great shot. We now return to our favorite movie, Summer Edition, and Tori Feldman on TNT. When we were at the premiere of Lost Boys, um, I came with Sam Kinison, and it was my 16th birthday. And um, we were having a big birthday party for me afterwards. And Kinison came with me, and it was like one of the only times he actually showed up anywhere because he had a problem ever showing up anywhere. And I remember <laughs> when he was sitting, he was sitting like four yeah. rows in front of me, and he would start howling. You know, he'd be like, yeah! you know, during the premiere. And I was like, oh, wow. And I got this great feeling like, oh, man, he really likes it. He really appreciates my work. And afterward, 
He came up to me and he goes, Corey, man, that is like the coolest movie of all time. You are in the coolest movie of all time. We now return to our favorite movies. Actually, we had the most brilliant set, I think, ever in the history of, you know, Warner Brothers made. We filmed in Santa Cruz, where Grandfather's house was. They duplicated that set. If I tell you leaf for leaf in the front yard there, it was unbelievable what they had done as far as being on stage 15 went. Then you had stage 12, which was the cave. And the prop room we had... I mean, you know, water gun galore, you know, we were in heaven and, you know, we always used to just go around and just, like you know, that. like that and things of the nature and, <laughs> you know, so it could get nastier. You got the two quarters right with you, so uh, <laughs> other than that, though, things are, things are good. We now return to our favorite movie after these messages. Next Thursday. The film I'm working on right now. I get to basically take on that character. Um, my character right now in the film I'm doing, Tales from the Crypt, Bordello of Blood. Um, Drive a cameo in, thank you. All right, me and Sly Stallone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I get to use a lot of what he did, which, which I thought was incredible. He did an amazing job in that film. So I get to basically take things that he did, and I take a little of what Jason Patrick did when he was vampirized, and I kind of blend those in this new film, which is really fun for me because I was the vampire killer, and now I get to be the other side. I finally get to be the vampire, which is an amazing experience for me. You know, So I've learned a lot from watching what Kiefer did in that performance. We now return on TNT. Well, I'm Corey Feldman. Corey Ham. Thanks for watching The Lost Boys on TNT. We had a blast making it. We hope mm. you had a blast watching it. Remember, vampires are not real. Mm -mm. Not real at all. Not real. Look at that view over there. That's cool. Hey, 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 hey! Let's go to lunch. Well, there you have it. Well, Terrence, I think that um, we've said our part. We've done our piece. <laughs> we've done our worst, and we've done our best. Um, would you like to add anything at the end of this? Uh, it's one of the cult classics that I'm I'm just not on board with. That's it, which is rare because I typically really like cult classics. Um, right. Even after revisiting, never watching them, and and, and visiting them like you know way after uh, they've been made but, right you know and look we understand this may be somebody's favorite movie of all time okay we're not here to say that to take any way away from you um especially if it's something that's connected to your childhood you know you maybe your dad showed it to you i think tim mullins was telling me that he grew up on horror films his, his dad was showing or he's not much yeah. into older movies but you know the horror films he would watch all the time right. which I've stated it and completely understand. You right. Know what I mean? So, I mean, we understand that. But as far as personally, it's not yeah, one of my favorite vampires both movie. both watching it for the first time. And it's kind of crazy because we are like 13 years difference in age here. You know what yeah. I mean? So, I mean, for us to have the same perspective watching it now, I think says something. Well, um, I, my daughter, my daughter, I was like, "Hey, I got to watch this." She want to put. She just turned sixteen, and I said, "Hey, look, I'm putting this on." You know, and, and all she could say was, "Wow, he's hot," and he's hot too. You know, I mean, that's all she. Yeah. She, so, so I think that would that's another you know uh, perspective of of uh, 
it all depends on kind of the age you watch it for the first time. Uh, because if you're watching this as a, as a teenager, you know, you could think those things and that could be what you enjoyed about the movie. You can watch that movie and be like later on in life and be like, yeah, I really enjoyed that movie. And then realize like, Oh, I just liked everybody cause they were hot. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, well, we thank you once again for listening. If you'd like to leave us a, a review, hopefully not a, not a one star after this episode because we trashed your favorite movie. Uh, by the way, Sam Farrell, I, I, I'm going to throw it in uh, at the earlier, but um, he left us a review, and it's just like taken from Liam Neeson. <laughs> He's like, if you destroy this movie, I will hunt you down. I will find you. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny what he did, so I've got it. I'm going to put it on there. Um, but, we, you know, we thanks for listening. We're glad to have Terrence back. It's been a long couple of months without him. I've been trying to, you know, throw some uh, – episodes out there while he's been gone um, last we are, time i was in this room it was cold i was gonna say yeah it's almost <laughs> cold again so hopefully terrence will be back next week oh yeah definitely oh you heard it here first so he's made a, a terrence guarantee we all know how that goes <laughs> uh so hopefully next week we'll cover something i'll throw it out on facebook live me and terrence will, or facebook we'll talk about it. i'm not sure what we're going to do at this yeah. point it's just all just, up in just, the air just for an update uh on my end um, basically the, my absence is because I got a new job and it's, it's pretty up in the air, chaotic. Um, my week, I, I thought, oh, Hey, my weekends are Tuesday, Wednesday. So I'll, you know, still be able to do the whole Wednesday thing. Um, but then I didn't realize that I wouldn't have weekends. <laughs> so I've basically, you know, been mandated weekends every time. And so I've just, I've just been really exhausted and uh I, I believe it was a what a week or two weeks ago um i tried coming in and uh, i was like i'm gonna just take a quick nap and just, <laughs> yeah and then i, I was like well out. he's he's not here <laughs> um yeah because i put on facebook oh terrence is coming over today to record yeah nothing <laughs> like two days later he's like oh man sorry i overslept i was like yeah, i guess he hibernated so I think we've rattled on long enough. Um, thanks again for everybody for listening. If you want to go, uh, le- if you want to uh, leave us an email, thetragedyofcinema@gmail.com. We will read your email on the air. Um, if also, you- please leave us a, a iTunes review. Uh, we enjoy right. reading them, um, and then they help us get more exposure. You know. Uh, and by the way, we we have just taken off again. We're the downloads are way up again. Um, so oh, nice. just keep telling your friends. Um, I know there's a lot of people that are going to write in here. So if everybody does send something to me, can tell your friends or put it on your personal Facebook page when I share it, um, please go ahead and do that. Let's get this thing ramped up again. Hopefully Terrence can get back on the ball. And now that we're back into the swing of things, this one is a little bit longer, uh, actually a lot longer than normal yeah. episodes, but we wanted to make sure it was extra special because we have been goofing off on Facebook about it since March, I think, Forever, you know yeah. what I mean? So, um, do if you have uh, any other suggestions that you want us to cover like this, this was fun. Um, do we know what we're doing next week? No, did you just not listen to me? <laughs> no, I just said I will put it back on Facebook after we oh, talk okay, about okay. it. You know what I mean? So, well, that's it. I can't deal with him anymore, like I can't deal with this movie. So, with that being said, I think this episode's coming to the close and cut. God. Hey guys, but wait, there's more. Um, after I got done editing, we had some problems um, or some overlapping audio that I was told about. So I came back here to correct it. And I wanted to make sure that I told you guys thanks for listening. Also that we had the uh, Tim Mullins and Sam Farrell audio that I'm going to put in at the end here. I uh, love these guys to death. Uh, Tim Mullins uh, does HHH Media. And uh, he's got Hillbilly Horror House um, and a couple other audio dramas you should check out at Mullins Media. And Sam Farrell, he's just an all-around good guy. So uh, 
<laughs> Sam had me in the cry laughing at the end of this, so I think I'm going to cut it uh, off there and let Sam in the show with what he says, and then I'll just play the bumper music and we'll be done. But once again, thanks for listening. Hope you share it with your friends, share it with your family, share it with your enemies, share it with your frenemies. Uh, but we do love you guys. We thank you for listening and appreciate all the all the times you've downloaded and helped us out. So here's to many more. Love you guys. Hello, my name's Tim. And I just wanted to put in my two cents about this whole Lost Boys thing. I, for one, enjoy the movie. I'm old enough to remember it. I remember watching it. And what a lot of people don't understand is The Lost Boys was released two years after The Goonies. It had the same feeling as The Goonies mixed in with a little bit of the 80s horror, but they were still able to keep it eh, somewhat family-friendly, you know? I don't think their goal was to make a pop culture classic, but, you know, rather to have fun with it and, and ride on the coattails of The Goonies. Just out to have fun. Now, there weren't no sparkling vampires or fighting the lichens with silver bullets with a hot vampire in skin-tight clothing, which might have been nice, actually. But, uh, <laughs> but it was just a movie meant to have fun, to scare you and to make you laugh at the same time. That's all. Now, unless you're a tight... <laughs> who thinks Star Wars was the greatest movie on Earth... Oh, you get really excited every time you see a black and white war movie come on? God. And you most likely think this was a pretty good movie too, I would think. But that's my two cents. It was just a movie meant to have fun. The stick in the muds don't get it. That's okay. But I need to get going because there is another awesome movie getting ready to start that I want to watch. It's called Starship Troopers. Yeah, boy! Peace. I know who you are. I know what you want. I know where you record. If you're looking for a bribe, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills that I've acquired over a long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you give the Lost Boys a good review, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, if you proceed to badmouth and trash this gem from my childhood, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Okay. So my lawyer says that whole threatening to kill you thing could get me in a lot of trouble. So, if you leave the movie a bad review, I will leave you a one-star review. Yeah, that's it. A one-star review. That's worse than death. Okay.